All right. Luke 23. Now, Luke 23 is not a Christmas passage. But the reason Jesus came in Luke chapter 2 is for Luke 23. He came to die. He came to provide hope. Luke 23 and verse number 32. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them deride him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which hang railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for hope. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for what you provided uh, for all men who would come to you. Lord, even thieves in the eleventh hour, Lord, you provided. Lord, I pray in our own hearts that we've made that decision. We have accepted you as our Lord and Savior. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. This text speaks of three different people. The two malefactors and Jesus Christ. One thief is uh, lived a life of crime. Well, they both did, but his is crime and that's on one side. They broke the laws of Rome and now they're being sentenced to death. The sentence is being carried out and he's dying a horrible death. This man is rude. He's arrogant and he's proud. He's in a hopeless situation, but he's all those things. He's dying in his sins. On the other side of Jesus hangs a man who's dying for his crimes, just as guilty as the other thief. He's paying the same price, feeling the same pain and dying the same death. Yet he is different from the first man. This man is well aware of what he's facing. His eyes are wide open to his condition. And he's willing to go to where it takes to get help, and that's God. That's God. And in the middle is Jesus. You know, these other two had spent time breaking the laws of Rome. We don't know anything about their backstory. We don't know how long they had been committing crimes. We don't know exactly all the crimes they committed. And we know they, they were thieves, but we don't know what else they could have done. We do know a whole lot about the man in the middle, don't we? The whole Bible's about him. You know, he spent three years traveling around the country, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, his messages and promised salvation to all those who would believe. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He even raised the dead. He had done nothing wrong. Yes, he had exposed the religious leaders, didn't he? For their hypocrisy, uh, for their corruption. And those same leaders 
had convinced the Roman governor that this man is worthy of nothing but death. And the Roman governor was afraid of the Jews and afraid of a revolt that might start. So he lets the man go even though he knows he's not guilty of anything. Totally innocent. And he crucified an innocent man. He's so different from the others because he has not done anything wrong, right? He hadn't done anything wrong. He is without sin. Yet he felt the same pain. He paid the same price, dying the same death as these guilty men. The man in the middle is dying for sin. Not dying in his sin. He's dying for sin. He's dying for sin. It's not a hopeless situation if you would accept the gift. Amen? Christmas time is all about giving gifts. Uh, we give gifts to our friends. We give gifts to our family. We, uh, we, this is just what happens. And it's fine. It's wonderful. But this is the greatest gift. is salvation. It is the greatest. And, you know, it looks hopeless for the thieves, doesn't it? Absolutely does. I mean, it, it just looks horrible. These men, these three men will be dead shortly. Then is eternity. So we see, first of all, a, the thieves' hopeless situation. The situation is hopeless. The description here clearly declares to us they're in terrible trouble. You know, we see that they're malefactors. The evildoer, a thief, is referred to in Matthew chapter 27. So he's guilty of breaking the law, right? The law of the Jews, you know, the, the Ten Commandments says, eight, I think it's number eight, you know, that's breaking the law. Don't, don't steal. You're not to steal. He broke the law. Thou shalt not steal. You can't get any clearer than that, right? You broke the law. And beyond that, he's guilty of committing blaspheme with the Jews. Although he was on the cross, these other ones, they joined in with those who were standing around the cross and railed on him and they mocked him. And the idea of rail means to blaspheme. So these thieves, just not only did they break the that law of don't steal, they were guilty of speaking evil, wicked things against the Lord. They sinned against him. Of course, even if these guys had lived the purest of lives, even if they had not committed any crime, they are still sinners. They are born sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was a sinner and he was receiving the wages of his sin. Uh, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It just so happened that the sin in his heart led to commit sins in the flesh and put him at odds with the laws of men. Now he's being put to death by those laws. Soon, these thieves would face the wrath of God in hell if they didn't get things taken care of. And this is a reminder to all of us, every sinner, everyone's a sinner. There's no one who is not. I understand that some people's sin have greater uh, consequences for greater numbers of people, but we all have sinned. No one escapes that reality. We all have sinned. And one day, we will face the wrath of God for that sin. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That helps you escape the wrath of God. Amen? That's the only way. It's through Jesus Christ. We see the thief in his sentence in verse number 33. He tells us that they're being crucified. They brought the Calvary and they're crucified. Crucifixion was a means of execution that the Romans perfected. It's not something you ever want to perfect. It's a horrible death. It's 
unimaginably cruel and painful. Uh, they would lay that person down on a piece of wood. Uh, that would be the cross beam, the platplum, I think is how they say it, but the cross beam. That could weigh as much as 125 pounds. That's a big, heavy piece of wood. And, and he would be nailed to that. And, and then, you know, heavy, uh, wrought iron spikes were driven to the wrists, deep into the wood. Uh, then, not too tight though, because if they put it too tight, they would die quicker. They wanted this to last. After the beam was affixed to the upright and then placed in the ground, uh, the, the feet were dangling, so then they would nail that to the cross, driven through the arches of the feet. And the victim is now crucified. There's lots more I can say about it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just realize there's searing pain in the limbs. Pain, nerve pain. Has anyone here ever deal with nerve pain? I mean, obviously not crucifixion. All right. I have nerve damage in my mouth from a dental procedure gone wrong. And when the temperatures change, I hurt a lot. Uh, I can't talk very much, which my kids love, but at any rate, uh, the, and my wife too, but at any rate, uh, it hurts. I mean, I gotta take pills to kinda help reduce the pain, and you now it doesn't happen all the time, but really when that weather changes, particularly when it gets cold, it really hurts. And, and but that's just my mouth. Just, I mean, just right here. And if I don't talk much, it's manageable. This is searing pain through all the body. Nerve damage, fatigue, cramps, difficult to breathe, carbon dioxide builds in the system, dehydration, blood loss. It's just horrible. And it could last, someone could last on the cross for days. And it's actually uh, documented that a lot of victims, if they lived past a certain amount, became insane. They actually lost their mind. It's a horrible way to die. And the Romans crucified countless people that way uh, during their reign over the known world. And uh, it, these three men are just one of the thousands. Now, we will probably never suffer a death of crucifixion. I certainly hope so. No one here suffers that. But we all will face death. Unless we know Jesus Christ and He soon returns, what they sang about this morning. And I'm looking for that soon return. I'm, I would love to see that happen. Yeah, Hebrews 9.27 says, And as pointed on the man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. What matters is that you be ready when the day comes. And we don't know the day. This week was a vivid reminder for us. I mean, Thursday night, we didn't know if my mother-in-law would live. We didn't know, but we didn't know Thursday morning either. It was just assumed that it would be just another day. You don't know. So get it taken care of while you do know. Make sure of it today. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You have to go through Jesus. The thief and his sorrow. The, what's truly tragic is these two men were dying the, the day were facing, you know, they, they did this because of the cross. They are sorry, with other, other sins. They were on the cross. They were there because of what they did. And uh, these two thieves were sinners. They had not accepted Christ as Savior uh, up until this point in Scripture. Uh, they were both headed to a Christless eternity. They were both headed to hell. Now, hell's a, a word lots of people use in their vocabulary uh, to describe they're, uh, they're not happy about something or they're upset about something, they're displeased about something. Uh, but hell's a real place. And not because I've been there, but the Bible tells me it is, and I believe the Bible. 
The Bible says it's a real place and it's a place of eternal torment. Uh, and it's not a word, and this message right now is not one that's really popular in the world. That's fine. It's not popular. It's still true. Still true. And we need to know about it. We need to be reminded of a real place called hell that if you don't know Christ as Savior, you'll spend eternity there. But I got great news. You don't have to spend eternity there. You accept, you can accept Jesus Christ as Savior. But the reality is, place, hell is an unquenchable fire. Uh, Luke chapter 16, it tells us a lot about hell. I'm not going to dive right into it, but some things it does mention, I would encourage you to read it. In Luke chapter 16, unquenchable fire. It's a place where you have memory and you feel remorse. You feel remorse. Son, remember. That's what the rich man says. Sons, remember. Son, remember. Intense and unsatisfied thirst. It's a place of misery and pain. Uh, I've had uncles and people that are familiar with our family who joke about this and say, yeah, I'm going to play with cards with my buddies in hell. It's like, no, you won't. That's not what hell's about. It's absolutely not. It's eternal separation. Eternal separation from everything that's beautiful, everything that's wonderful. You know, heaven has no pain. In heaven, there's Jesus Christ forever. There's with the saints of God. There's a, a streets paved with gold. There's a place of plenty. There, there's no want for anything. There's no sin. I mean, it's so wonderful. That's what eternally separated from. You don't want to go there. You don't have to go there. There's hope. And His name's Jesus. This thief is in a bad situation. He, he, he's hopeless. He's near to the cross. He will die. I mean, we look at it in a human perspective. We say there is no hope for him. For both of them. There's no hope. There's for the three of them. They don't, they refuse to believe who Jesus is. You know, he's a picture, that thief on the cross, he's a picture of every lost sinner in this world. If they don't know Jesus as their Savior. If they die, they are eternally separated from the Lord. Verses 39 to 42, we see, uh, you know, he just intercedes here. At the, you know, the, one of the malefactors rails against the Lord and he jumps in. The second one. Dost thou not know, uh, know that uh, thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? During those hours on the cross, because again, the crucifixion was not a quick death. I don't know when the clock on the clock of when Jesus was on the cross, they started figuring out, man, this, this he's real. He's not like me and you. He's real. I don't know when that that second it occurred. We're not given that. That his eyes were open to the situation, though. And his his comrade at one time he rebukes them. Earlier, both had been mocking. Now he joins. Uh, they join voices with the religious leaders, and they mock the Lord. And sometime later in the day, the second one begins again. And then the second, uh, the first one begins again. Then the second one jumps in and says something. Now, let's, let's just remember that first thief, he's in a whole lot of pain, right? He's in a world of pain. And he's going to leave this world in pain. Alright, he's in a world of pain. Uh, he's in, he, he wants off that cross. He sees Jesus there. He's heard about it. So Jesus, if you can get off, get me off too. That's what he's saying. And the other thief hears his companion, and he steps in. In verse 40, I just read it there for you. What he means in this, we're all here, we're here because we did something wrong. This guy's not done anything wrong. 
We need to prepare to meet God. We need to prepare to meet God. This gives us a glimpse of this man's heart. He's dealing with his mortality. He knows he's going to die. There's no, no second chances now. This is the end of the line. He's dealing with the fact death is near. I don't know exactly what his thought process is. We're not told what he's thinking. But it does seem to be, as we look at he is contemplating, he probably has thought, what a wasted life I've had. He's cleanly aware that he's here because of the path he chose. He's also very aware that he's facing eternity, which he's not prepared for. So he rebukes the other thief for his heartless words against Christ. His rebuke is an evidence that God is working in his heart, is it not? It's an evidence that God is working in his heart. God's working in his heart so he can see his condition. He sees his condition. And when that moment occurs in any sinner's life, salvation becomes a real possibility when a sinner sees himself as he really is and sees the price that is about to be paid for their sins and the desire to get right with God. God does that work. He opens the eyes because, hey, there's lots of sinners walking around. We give out tracts, we witness to people, and they keep walking on by. That's not to say we stop giving out tracts and we stop witnessing people because we need to. The realization of who they are comes through the Lord's conviction, amen? He convicts the heart. And He opens the sinner's eyes a little bit to see where he's at. That conviction is the work of God in sinners' hearts. It's a work of God used to make a sinner aware of his condition. Where I am, what am I? It is only the work that God can do. I don't have that power to convict someone. And neither does anybody else on this planet. God does the convicting. If I try to stir it up in someone's heart, it's wrong. And I'm speaking about uh, salvation here. I, I can't convict someone of sin. God does that work. And guess what? God doesn't make a mistake in His work, does He? He's perfect. He's, he's sinless. He gets it right. And so the, that's God. You know, hey, you have sinned. He brings that conviction. Uh, no man can come to me except the Father which has uh, sent me, draw him, and I'll raise him up in the last day. And so there's revelation that re, the thief here is considering... He rebukes that other fellow and then he sees, we're guilty. We're getting what we deserve. Verse 41, indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. That's amazing. I mean, I'm telling you right now, this thief's preaching a pretty good message, folks. It's the only message he's ever going to preach. But he's preaching a pretty good message. How does he know? How does he know he hasn't been with Jesus the whole time? How does he know he hasn't done anything wrong? Well, that's the Lord or God open his eyes, isn't it? To who he really is. Jesus is nailed to a cross. He's going to die. Yet this man is able to see Jesus, the truth. Jesus is more than a man. This man looks at the lying Lord and sees, he's my Savior. He's my Savior. He calls him Lord. He calls him Lord. Now, uh, he, he's going to die, but he believes somehow he's going to rule. That Lord, the idea of Lord means king. He sees a man who's going to establish a kingdom. He sees a man who can save him. But it's not a man, right? It's the Lord. 
Where did this dying thief get these ideas? I mean, he wasn't in any theological classes with Jesus. As far as we know, this is the very first encounter this man has had with Jesus. And he asks, tells the other man, the dying man, to remember, uh, or the, this, this thief who's dying, tell, asks the Lord to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. When this man looked at Jesus Christ, he did not see a dying victim of the Roman system. He didn't see a poor man hanging the cross. He saw the Savior. He looked at Jesus wearing that cruel, mocking crown of thorns. And he says some things. He places Jesus on the throne of the universe by calling Him Lord. Lord! King! And He puts Jesus on the throne of His own heart, but remember me! And he places them, uh, he says, when thou comest in the kingdom, he's referring to the throne of David. He's a Jewish man. He knows these things. He believed. He believed. He believed in spite of how impossible it must have looked to him at that time. The thief on the cross demonstrates true faith, just like we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He absolutely demonstrates it. This thief teaches us what it What salvation is all about. Or what it takes, if you want to use that terminology. He was honest about his own sins, wasn't he? You read that. You saw that in the verses there. Uh, He hasn't done anything. We indeed justly, we are paid, we see the due of our deeds. We've sinned. He's being honest. I'm telling you right now, the world has a hard time being honest. And if we're not careful as Christians, we can have a hard time being honest too. We need to be honest. And in, here in the realm of salvation, that absolutely has to admit. We have to admit that we're sinners. That's the first step. I've sinned. Now, Jesus said He, he came to save sinners. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. He didn't call them to call the righteous, but He came to sinners to repentance. And the reality is there is no one righteous, no, not one. So He came to call, came in, and to save the sinner. Seeing one's condition as it is is probably the hardest thing of all. A sinner is a person without a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no difference between that person who has the big mansion wherever country you're from that you can think of, maybe the richest person you ever knew of, to the guy who lives downtown Toronto on the streets. There's no difference. Oh, they've made some bad choices. Hey, the guy who might be in the mansion made some bad choices, just haven't been caught yet. I mean, we're all sinners. Doesn't matter. The highest to the lowest. There's no, there's no difference between the doctor and the patient. Seen a lot of doctors this week. The doctors need to be saved just like the patient needs to be saved. Uh, we're all sinners. And the first step in getting that taken care of is admit the, the truth. He became convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be. You know, as long as Jesus is just another man to you, you'll never be saved. If He's just another man. Oh, He's much more than just another man. He's the Savior of the world. He's just not another man. Uh, a lot of religions like to kind of put Jesus off like that. It's almost like a uh, we'll appease the Christians by, yes, yes, He was a good man. He is the Son of God. He's just not another man. Now, he wasn't just a good prophet or whatever they say. No! He's the Savior. He's the fulfillment of all the promises of God. That's a big deal. 
And through those promises and through His work, you can be saved. When you understand that He died on the cross and that He rose again like the Bible says, and you call upon Him, He'll save you. He won't turn you away. And faith in Jesus is essential in salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He was willing to call on Jesus by faith for what He needed. Far too many people know the truth. They know what they need to do. All they're lacking is acting. But that's what they're lacking, is acting on it. They know about Jesus. They've heard the story. But they won't act on it. They won't call upon the Lord. If you come to the Lord, He won't turn you away. John 6.37 If you'll call upon Him, who will save your soul? Verily, verily, I say to He that believeth in Me have everlasting life. Uh, Believing on Him is trust in Him. And Him alone. And forsaking all others. All other systems. You turn from that. That's where we get the word repentance. We turn from whatever we were serving and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we follow Him. That's what we do. Do you understand that Jesus died for you in the cross? That He rose again from the dead for you? He did that for you. He did that for me. I hope you understand and grasp the reality that if you would come to Him, repent and cry upon out to Him, He will save you. And the reality is, it's not like uh, it's a 14th process. The idea of believe, it's all inclusive. If you tell me, well, uh, Pastor, it's Jesus plus these others, you're not saved. Uh, you know, I'm not really like preaching right in that way all the time. Like, yeah, you're not saved. I don't like trying to judge people's hearts, but they tell me that it's Jesus plus this, they're wrong. That's not true biblical salvation. It's not Jesus plus your good works. It's not Jesus plus you go to church. It's not Jesus plus your baptism. You need to be baptized you know Christ is Savior. Amen? That's a step of obedience. You need to do that. Uh, But the reality is, it's none of those things. It's Jesus alone. You forsake all others, all other things, all other systems, which are man-made, and you look to Jesus. That's it. It's, it's not complicated. It's childlike faith. That's what it is. And if you haven't done that, let me encourage you to do that. It will change your life. We see a salvation, verse 43. Verily I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus looked unto that man. That man deserved nothing but judgment. Right? Let's just be honest. That's what he deserved was judgment. That's why he was on the cross, because of judgment. That man could do nothing or give anything to Jesus. That thief did not deserve salvation. He did not deserve the attention of the Savior. He did not deserve for Jesus to do anything at all for him. Yet, in spite of all his unworthiness, Jesus does not respond to that dying thief with words of condemnation and judgment. Jesus responds with words of grace. I love God's grace. It's amazing. Jesus promised him salvation. 
promises that He will be together with Him in paradise that very day. Today shalt thou be with Me in paradise. Today! Man, those words must have been pretty comforting that man dying on that cross, don't you think? Oh, I believe with all my heart that that gave him a whole lot of comfort. He had nothing to commend himself to God. Just think about this. He would never be able to read one word of God's Word. Remember this. He had never had the opportunity to repay the victims that he stole from. He never had the chance to live a productive Christian life. He never had the chance to go to the synagogue or the, the local church that would be established. He never got a chance to give to the church. He never had a chance to get baptized. He never had a chance to personally tell anyone else about Jesus Christ. But the Lord said unto him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise because you believe. You believe. No strings attached. He promised salvation. Oh, the hope, the joy that must have been in that man's heart when he at, when the Lord said that and he didn't expect, the Lord didn't expect anything. Just believe in me. That's all I expect. And that's what he did. He surrendered his life and gave himself into loving care of the Father. That thief did that day. Now Jesus perceived both those thieves into eternity. We have no record that the other ever got it right with the Lord. From what we know of Scripture, he went into a Christless eternity. He went to hell. And the other thief, the one we've been talking about, the one who trusted Christ for salvation, he followed the Lord into paradise. That's pretty amazing. I get little goose pimples thinking about that. God loves you. He proved His love for you when He sent His Son. We we are celebrating uh, the arrival of the Lord to earth. Right? Tonight we're having a Christmas banquet. Next week the kids are having the program. We're going to have Christmas Eve service. It's all about celebrating that God came in human flesh to us. We celebrate that and we're thankful for that. And we, we give Him the glory for it. But He sent His Son to die on that cross. It wasn't a change in plans once the Lord got here. He knew exactly what He was coming to do. He came to die on the, on the cross for our sins. Romans 5.8 But God came in His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to be like that thief who died lost. You don't have to be Him. You can be saved. You can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. And with a host and hosts and hosts of other believers. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what it is. That's what it is. Nothing else. As that thief hung there in the presence of Jesus, and there's a crowd around, right? They were there watching, mocking his other comrade or other individual uh, who had been guilty of thieving and things as well. He confesses himself to be a sinner. 
and declares his own guilt for all to hear. He says, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I deserve everything I'm receiving. I believe in you. Man. That's some serious honesty on that man's part. And because he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he was saved. I'm sure... I mean, this man is like every other man who's walked on this face of the earth. At the very end, he has time to think about his life. And up until the moment he accepted Christ, no doubt he was thinking of the wrong deeds he'd done. Isn't, isn't that what happens when we face that life-faltering, life-changing, life-ending events? We, we think of the past, opportunities that we missed, things that we did wrong, wasted opportunities, maybe shattered dreams. Sorrow over a wasted life. I don't know how he said those words in 42, if there were tears coming down his eyes, if his voice trembled, or I don't know, that's not told us. But I would think there was a whole lot of emotion there. And I, it's, and listen, salvation is not about emotion either. It's by belief, Amen. You don't have to conjure up some emotion. But the reality is when salvation is provided, there often is emotion. And we understand what it is and how great God is. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He's sorry. He's sorry. He's repentant. He's turning from all that garbage. Lord, it's you. And only you. And when he called, aren't you so glad? The Lord saved. Immediately. You know, I don't know if you've ever had these events in life where you call on someone and they're like, oh, I'll get back to you on that. I need to know right now. Whatever it is, uh, maybe your car is broken. Uh, I've, I've had this, not so much in Ontario, but living in Newfoundland rural areas. My car would break down. The guy's like, oh, I'll have to get back to you. Well, how long is that going to take? Oh, it could be two weeks. Yeah, the truck's stuck on the ferry. <laughs> ah! I need that part. Hey, when you ask Jesus, immediately. Immediately. Have you called? Oh, what a, today's the day if you haven't. Don't put it off. Today's the day. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you need to confess? Do you, do you need to call upon the Lord for salvation? The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the Lord, the Lord shall be saved. Now, upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Take out the word whosoever and put your name in there. Doesn't matter your past. That thief lived a pretty wicked life. The Lord didn't quiz him and all the bad stuff he did. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Don't let your past stop you from making the greatest decision of your life. If you have responded to the call of salvation and you know that you're saved, well, praise the Lord for it. It'd be a great time to bow the knee once again and say, thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. Dear Lord,
Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the story of the thief. The one who called upon you. The one who's in heaven today. Lord, help us to learn from his example. Help us not to end our life like the other thief who refused. Help us to look to you. To believe by faith. Lord, there is hope. And it's through you. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.